Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, March 20th. Make it a point today to laugh at least three times from your heart. Such laughter is the strongest antidote for disease, depression, and corroding sorrow of every kind. I remember many years ago, I believe the man's name was Norman Cousins, if I'm not mistaken, and this was from my youth, I believe this happened. Uh, he was a writer and I believe a magazine publisher. He was a well-known um, uh, literary person. And he was, uh, what do you say, diagnosed with some serious terminal illness. I can't remember what it was, probably cancer or something like that. But whatever it was, there was a treatment for him, but the, the treatment was a little dicey. And the possibility of his survival was not great. And he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he decided that the best medicine he can think of was, was laughter. So he actually set about and set up a program of being able to laugh. And, and he lay in his hospital bed or his bedroom bed or wherever he was. The details are a little bit vague to me. And he, he collected all the funniest movies that he ever knew about. I believe the Marx Brothers were part of that. Just every funny film, every funny movie, every funny book, and, and his treatment, and perhaps he took the medical, but he might not have taken the medical, or else there was no medical treatment for him. That seems more likely, but I'm not sure of the details. And he would just spend several hours every day laughing. I mean, not just giggling, but really the kind of laughter where you think it's just too funny, you just can't hold it back anymore. And he cured himself. And he wrote a book about it. I can't remember what the book title was, but you can find it. This is from decades ago. But it just worked because there's a huge relationship between mind and body. It's as simple as that. And a great many ailments, well, nowadays, you know, it's a whole science of medicine, stress-related diseases. And sorrow and stress and grief, it creates a vibration, and that vibration begins to affect literally every cell of your body. And that being true, that same thing can be reversed. And we can... Well, now people are exploring it, people are researching it, people are talking about the mind-body connection. I have to laugh, and I hope you find this as funny as I did. Funny in a, a kind of, well, I don't know what the right word is. It does make me laugh, but in a rueful, oh my gosh, sort of way. Some uh, documentary maker or newscaster decided that they wanted to decide once and for all if there was actually a mind-body connection between illness and health. And in the God Bless America way, I, you know, where, where truth is a matter of majority vote, they decided they would interview a number of ill people and they would ask them if there was a connection between their mental attitudes and their illness, and however the vote came out, well, that would be the definitive answer. So one of the bits, and I, you know, I have no clear recollection of anything else about this film or whatever it was. But one of them is the newscasters are going into a hospital room where some poor woman 
is in bed in the hospital because she's been diagnosed with a serious cancer, which is no laughing matter. But the, the camera is up close to her and the guy's interviewing, holding the microphone and wants to know if there's any relationship between her thoughts in her mind and the illness that's manifested in her body. And she says, hell no! It's bad enough that I have cancer. I'm sure as hell not going to be responsible for it. And that was her definitive answer, which is a point of view. I don't think it's a helpful point of view, but at least she was holding it with a lot of strength. And so one vote against any relationship between thought and action, thought and health. But all of us know that there's a lot of relationship between thought and health. It's just a question of how close together it comes. And also, we all know how humor can alleviate stress and how alleviating stress can change your whole perspective on things. Let me, when I once made a silly joke and I sort of suddenly became uh, curious as to, you know, the nature of humor, I remember I said to Swami, Swamiji, I said, you know, what is humor? Because in this situation, he asked me a perfectly rational question, and I gave him a perfectly ridiculous answer, which was very funny. We both laughed, but it was like I didn't even think about it. It was just, he asked a question, I saw an occasion to make a joke, so we made a joke and enjoyed it. It was perfectly clean, bright humor, at nobody's expense. Um, And Swamiji answered that to a certain extent, he said, clean, bright humor that doesn't mock people, but just enjoys, the, enjoys life, he said, is a spiritual quality. Because in order to see the humorous side of things, it demands detachment and the, enough imagination to realize that whatever appears to be real is just one of many choices. And so the ability to constantly sort of pivot in life and just see it from a different angle is a, it, it, it demonstrates a certain flexibility of consciousness that in, in and of itself is a spiritual quality and also is a very useful characteristic for being able to see life from a more elevated angle, from a different angle and not being so wedded to the most materialistic, unrelenting perceptions. And so laughter is a good part of it. It's, it's interesting, Swamiji has pointed out, that people who are fanatical often don't have very good senses of humor because they have to hold so hard to one point of view that the only humor they like is unkind, you know, that puts other people down or makes fun of weakness. But good, clean, bright humor where you can just take yourself lightly and step back and see it from another angle is completely different. One of the wonderful things about this um, pandemic, this is being recorded in August of 2020, one of the wonderful things about this pandemic is the, the humor that's come up. And some of the humor is so perfect. And also, and I'm going to tell you what my favorite right now, how that humor can help rescue one from confusion and even from depression. And I'll tell you this one. And this is, it was a whole series of if the year 2020 were A, it would be like this. One of the cartoons, and this is not the main one, but if the year 2020 were a swing set, 
and then there's a photograph. And the photograph is you have a child swing set just set up there, except it's set up right against a brick wall, which means if you try to use the swings at all, you're just going to crash into the brick wall. And that's, you know, pretty much what it feels like right now. But my favorite is if the year 2020 were a word mathematical problem, you know, those of us who, you know, you remember school where you get these word problems that end up being math problems. If it were a word math problem, it would go like this. Okay, so you're floating down the river at three miles an hour in a canoe, and one of the wheels falls off. How much pancake batter is it going to take to reshingle your roof? <laughs> I mean, I love it just in itself, but I have to tell you, ever since I heard that, which was a few weeks ago, multiple times when I'm trying to make sense out of what's going on around me. You know, try to make plans, try to make decisions, try to evaluate current events, try to sort through the all the crazy different alternate theories of reality and life, the different political parties, the national leaders. And I just, I become so easily, you know, like dismayed, distressed, depressed, terrified. Oh, I realize I'm trying to figure out how much pancake batter it's going to take to reshingle my roof. And no wonder it's just a hopeless task and I can't do it. I just can't find the answer because nothing connects with anything else now. And every time I say that to myself, it makes me smile a little bit. And then, of course, as soon as we smile, nothing is quite so hard. I'll give you another example from a friend's life. Um, let's see, now how would this have run? It, the, the actual incident, I don't recall, but it was, it was like one of those days where, um, well, it was the kind of thing, uh, this wasn't the specific incident, but it was this kind of incident. On, on the day I was about to leave for a month-long trip to India, and I thought I had everything really together, just everything was really together, I was fine, I had to run a series of errands. Now, I always keep a hidden key um, you know, under the bumper of my car in case for some reason something happens. So I locked my key in the car. I, I got it out. I, I got the hidden key. I got back in. I go and do another couple of errands. I lock my key in the car again. I get the hidden key out. I unlock the car. I lock my key in the car a third time on this day. But now I have also locked the hidden key inside because it was also preposterous, I didn't bother to put it on the outside again. And so I had to call someone who could go get the extra key. And okay, so my friend had been through an experience like that, but a little bit worse. I mean, a lot more difficult things had happened, more inconvenience, things that really had to be done, get, didn't get done because she was stuck over here and then that person got disappointed. So, but it was that kind of thing. Nobody died, nobody got hurt, just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I, was, I happened to be staying with her because she was in another city. She comes in and she was just completely, absolutely worn out, near tears. It had just been such a horrible day. She had just set out to do something so simple and everything had gone wrong and now blah, blah, blah. She tells the whole story and it's just like, it just was really so awful. And I just comforted her. Then a little time passes and somebody else comes in, comes home. and So she tells the whole story. And this time, 
she's not crying anymore, but the affect is pretty flat. You know, it's just like, I just couldn't believe it. And then I turned, and then this happened, and this person was waiting, and, you know, it just had to be done today, and now it's not done. The third time she told the story, she was embellishing it a little bit to make it more interesting, you know, and she was beginning to smile when she told it. The first time, the fourth time, and I watched it the fourth time, it was hilarious. <laughs> it was just hilarious. And what had happened? Nothing had changed. Absolutely nothing had changed. It's just that she stood back a quarter of an inch, and then all of a sudden it just wasn't a problem anymore. So, you know, when you're sad and you're depressed and you're tense, your physical body responds. I've been swimming for exercise for maybe 25 years. And the first, I, I, I discovered swimming as an adult, 25 years, would it be? My goodness, yes, it's close to that long. I discovered swimming as an adult when we were, when Ananda itself was in the middle of this horrible 12 years of litigation. And we were in Los Angeles taking some depositions, and the depositions had just been ghastly, and the information was not truthful, and it was just a nightmare experience. And we went back to the hotel and just realizing that we were, you know, we were tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars away from solution to this mess. And um, people were going into the gym, but I hadn't brought the right shoes to go into the gym. But for some reason, I brought a bathing suit. I don't know. So the way I think about it is I threw myself into the swimming pool just to get rid of all that was roiling around inside my head. And I remembered that I liked to swim, which I had somehow forgotten from childhood because I hadn't been near a pool. But I also realized that just swimming back and forth and swimming back and forth, I felt much better when I got out. And it, it clued me into, which is a self-evident fact, which is the physiological reality of stress. And that if you can break physically or, or mentally, if you can break that, that stress response, you can reverse the physiology and the physiology doesn't keep going. And you can break it with a really good laugh. How many times have you been in a situation where you were really tense and, and you were really upset about something, but somehow something happens and you just get a good belly laugh. I mean, not just a ha-ha, but where you're just, you just can't contain yourself. It's so funny. And how many times afterwards have you said, oh, I feel a lot better now. And I feel in my body and in my mind, I feel different. I mean, what are, what are the limits of that? Norman Cousins found that he could save his life. He could reverse a terminal illness just by laughing. So, cultivate it. Yogananda's advice for health was to read one funny story a day. You know, meditate, love God, pray, and read one funny story a day. It was a very serious suggestion. So, make it a point today to laugh at least three times from your heart such laughter is the strongest antidote, antidote for disease, depression, and corroding sorrow of every kind. Joy to you, my friend. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.